Unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Great to be back with you once again. Coming up on this episode, we'll talk to my friend Frank Murtaugh. He is with the Memphis Flyer and Memphis Magazine. We'll talk about a variety of topics, including his St. Louis Cardinals, David Freeze actually declining the Cardinals Hall of Fame. Also, the John Moran story, which is uh, kind of front and center in the city of Memphis. Frank is standing by in the virtual green room and will join us in just a moment. So, one quick baseball topic before we get to Frank. Ellie De La Cruz of the Cincinnati Reds. He is tearing it up. The 21-year-old who's uh, barely played any Major League Baseball. He has shot at the ladder and is having some tremendous impact uh, with the Cincinnati Reds. They have vaulted into first place in their division. Now, you know, good on him. You know, hope the kid has a has a great career, but... Man, the hype train is getting out of control, and it reminds me of one, Yasiel Puig. Remember when he came up with the Dodgers? ESPN was building his Hall of Fame bust in his first month in the big leagues, and they openly campaigned the fan vote for Puig over Atlanta's Freddie Freeman, which I've never forgiven for, but, you know, it's, but, uh, it's a striking similarity. Now, hopefully... You know, yes, Puig, uh, Puig had a decent baseball career, but he was not the end-all, be-all that he was made out to be in his first month in the big leagues. So just pump the brakes a little bit. Let De La Cruz get, you know, get his feet on the ground. You know, Austin Riley, the Atlanta Braves, came up and, you know, was hitting home runs like the natural in his first 13 games and then couldn't hit anything for two months. So baseball can be fickle he can give it and take it away so again not rooting against the kid but let's just kind of keep an eye on this a little bit longer Yes, sir. We are dialing up our good friend Frank Bertaw. He is with the Memphis Flyer and Memphis Magazine. And always a pleasure to have Frank on the show. Glad to have you back on, bud. Hey, Jeff. That's an intro I'm not sure I deserve, but it's great to be with you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Little Johnny Chuck Rivers. West, Chuck Berry. Yes, absolutely. Uh, two, two great versions of that song, uh, right. if you were. So, uh, so, uh, you know, we, we, we always like to talk a little baseball in the summer with Frank, so we'll kind of start off. Uh, I know you're a giant St. Louis Cardinals fans, and this is not a season to be remembered so far. Uh, they have mi- struggled mightily here in 2023, so what do you think is the uh, the issues going on with cards? And Jeff, I got all kinds of problems. You know, you, you may have called me on the wrong day considering they've won three straight and, uh, you know, Jordan Hicks looks like, you know, Bruce Suter all of a sudden. <laughs> but they um they, they just got a lot of holes. And, uh, you know, their, their roster's crowded in areas. You know, they have, you know, five outfielders competing for three spots. They've got four going on five middle infielders competing for two spots. And, you know, I think it's – I think the jury's still out on Oliver. You know, Marmol, uh, a lot of folks – if you uh, get on social media or are past tense with Ollie Marmol already, they're just, um, I, I, I guess I'd, I'd put them on a learning curve, you know, the Yadier Molina era and along with him, Albert Pujols ended last year. And 
So it's uh, it's a climb they have. Um, they they happen to be in you know one of the two central divisions where almost anybody can win. So if they put together a streak of a little more than three games, they, they might be in the discussion uh, come September. But they're they they got a considerable gap. Uh, if you're talking about teams like the Braves and you know the Arizona Diamondbacks, who are shocking the baseball world right now, and the Dodgers, you know your your uh, your usual suspects for for October baseball. They got a, they got a, a serious climb on their hands. Of course, you mentioned uh, Yadier Molina, and you know basically that's he was the heart and soul of the ball club for many many years, and that's a that's a big replacement, and it's a big ask, you know, to to have yeah. somebody fill his shoes. Yeah, you know, Jeff, I, I, you know, having followed the Cardinals throughout Yachty's career, obviously 19 years, and, and that is a seriously long time for an athlete to be with a team, any professional sports here in the 21st century. But I'm not sure even those of us who follow the team regularly quite understood the uh, the depth and, and the breadth of Yachty's impact on the culture of the clubhouse. Um, and that, I think that matters a lot in baseball, especially where you're playing every day for six months. And how that how that clubhouse culture that that atmosphere is shaped um, and defined really um, is um, is, a, is a hard thing to, to to write down on paper or to, or to quantify with statistics. Yadier Molina, without question, was the shaper of that culture for at least the last decade, if not earlier in his career. He was he was precocious with his leadership skills. Um, so I think there's I think the knee jerk in April was, well, Yachty's gone. That's why the Cardinals are struggling. Now, I think there's a, a, a larger scope to that. And I think that um, measuring what they've lost in Yachty or Molina, not just behind the plate and how he handled pitchers, but in that clubhouse is something that Marmol and John Mosellock, the Cardinals president of baseball operations, and all the way up to the ownership, you know, Bill DeWitt, they've got to figure that out because you got to get it right. You know, and he just – you know, just because you have highly paid stars and the likes of Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt, doesn't mean they're leaders like Yadier Molina was, and doesn't mean they can um, can redefine or or continue that clubhouse culture that's so important to winning to winning regularly, like the Cardinals have for for two decades. Yeah, and kind of give me your take too on Wilson Contreras. I mean, obviously, you know, with, with the Cubs, he was a, a an offensive force, and you know, he comes in to step into Yadier's uh, spot at catcher. And then they kind of pulled the plug on him at catcher and whatnot. What's your 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 take yeah. on that situation? Yeah, it's really bizarre. I'm not sure how much you read or heard or your listeners about the late April controversy in which there were pitchers claiming that that Contreras was among the reasons their ERAs were north of seven or eight. Um, Oliver Marmol went along with that for a period of time. It didn't last two weeks. Um, pulled Contreras back. There were. There were reports that he was going to be shifted to DH. Uh, and this is a guy who's just signed a, a large, you know, five-year contract. He's been a catcher and a, and a successful catcher for several years with the Cubs. N- not Yadier Molina. Again, back to back to the Yadier angle. He he was not ever going to be his predecessor. But uh, here we are in June, and he's uh, he's back behind the plate. He's also you know barely above the Mendoza line, hitting two hundred one, and he's just he's a shadow of what he was as an offensive producer with the Cubs and. It's just another area, Jeff, that the, the Cardinals and, and the, the individual himself, um, Wilson Contreras, they got to get it right. Uh, Contreras, you know, you know, publicly acknowledged that he lost a lot of confidence um, uh, last week. And, and that's a dangerous thing to admit, I think, in, in professional baseball, you know, certainly in the major league level. Confidence, confidence is everything in a sport where you fail more than you succeed. 
So Contreras acknowledging uh, that, that he's lo- lost his confidence publicly, that's something the team has to address and, and reset, or uh, it's going to be a really long season, especially uh, for Mr. Contreras. How about Adam Wainwright? You know, he's 41 years old. You know, he, he, he did come back for a swan song season. Um, you know, ERA in the, in the mid fives, it looks like so far. Um, you know, what, what is, uh, you know, I mean, is, is unfortunately, you know, probably not the kind of performance you hope for, uh, with him, uh, taking his last ride. Yeah. You know, he's, um, he, he's that crafty veteran and he really has been for five or six years now. And, and Adam Wainwright's career is, is remarkable. Uh, you appreciate this as a follower of the Braves, you know, pitchers who, who stick around and, you know, Wainwright's on the verge of winning 200 games with the Cardinals, which um, I was communicating with someone earlier in the week. I'm not sure we're going to see that again, uh, just, just because the, of the, the de-emphasis of, of the win statistic and, and players just not, not pitching, you know, the better part of two decades with a single franchise. So Wainwright's on the verge of checking some boxes that are, are going to be uh, career defining and, and maybe, They'll improve his Hall of Fame case, which is, I think, going to be on the periphery. Um, but the fact is, Jeff, with, with the collection of starters St. Louis has had, Wayno is, has been right there in the mix. He's pitched uh, into the sixth inning, I believe, every start he's made. And he, he, his season got off to a, a late start with a with a hamstring injury. Um, but he's he's a guy that uh, that curveball still curves, it still breaks. <laughs> you know, that, that's something that ages well. And uh, there are times he, he makes, um, you know, 20-something big league hitters look silly with it still. So I think Adam Wainwright will have a moment or two still in 2023. It's got to be weighing on him that right now 13 games under 500 uh, is, the, is his, you know, final season going to kind of kind of fade into the sunset with his, his club. Um, I think we got to hope that they kind of rise together. I think, you know, obviously the better Wainwright pitches, the better St. Louis will be. His next outing is going to be in London, by the way, on, on Saturday, and that uh, one of the two games against the Cubs. So he's got reasons and, and motivations to still excel. And uh, I think, you know, longtime Cardinal fans, they, they want to see that 200th win and then maybe just, you know, you know one or two more Adam Wainwright moments because, man, he, he's provided a lot of them over, uh, you know, 18 years in the big leagues. Yeah, he has been spectacular, to say the least. So, yeah, a little changing of the guard this year and uh, a new television play-by-play voice, Chip Carey. Of course, I go back uh, to the Orlando Magic days with Chip Carey, and I've had him on my show as both the voice of the Atlanta Braves and now the voice of the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, uh, so I'm very familiar with Chip and his work. Uh, what is your take as a Cardinals fan uh, having Chip basically come home, uh, if you will, from where his grandfather once toiled in the Cardinal booth? Yeah, Jeff, I, you know, I feel like I have cheated Chip Carey all these years. He, he's a delight. Uh, I, I've listened to him, watched him, you know, on, on random Braves broadcasts and in national telecasts he's been a part of over his career. But um, having him, you know, on an everyday basis in, in the Cardinals booth, I think particularly with a team that struggled and, um, you know, Chip's sense of humor, which is it's it's drier than uh, than than his grandfather certainly. It may be it's it's not quite as dry I think as as his father skips. Um, but he, he's a delight and he knows the game well. Uh, he, he's uh, I've I've loved every I've loved every minute of the, of the new relationship, Jeff. I, I'll I'll say this: my my own grandfather uh, grew up in Memphis. Um, not so much grew up, but he, he spent his adult years in Memphis listening to, to Harry Carey broadcast the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. And my dad's youngest uh you know cardinal days are with chip's grandfather so you know for me to be sitting here in memphis tennessee in 2023 listening to 
Harry Carey's grandson is a there's there's a, a familial and generational connection there that that's um, pretty powerful. And I don't think people who aren't longtime and, and multi generational baseball fans uh, quite understand that. But it's let me just say I, I feel very comfortable um, sitting on the couch with um, with Chip Carey in the room, so to speak. Absolutely. Um, and it's an interesting story out of uh, out of St. Louis uh, this week. So Adam Freeze, who was uh, David Freeze, excuse me, uh, was, a, you know, a World Series hero and, you know, was basically elected to the Cardinals Hall of Fame. But he is turning down that invitation. He does not feel he is worthy. This is a very you know, you don't see this every day, right? <laughs> it's it's a strange story, and it's um, you know, I've I've done a lot of processing on it the best I can over the last uh, two and a half days. Um, yeah, Jeff, you and I have been around athletes, uh, pro, big time college uh, coaches. It is so rare to find genuine humility among <laughs> um, professional athletes in, in, in professional sports these days. It really, it really isn't there uh, for the most part, but. I think we have a case in David Freeze, uh, who, you know, he was here in Memphis, helped Memphis win a, a Pacific Coast League championship two years before he was a, a hero in St. Louis. Uh, I think the guy just has his feet firmly on the ground. You know, he, he was a, a young man who didn't rise conventionally. Uh, he, he he quit playing as a collegiate uh, ball player, then returned to the game. Uh, he, he had you know he had issues with alcohol, with anxiety and depression as a young man. Um, and then just he he rose like a rocket uh, with St. Louis and and had what I would argue is the greatest postseason by a hitter in Cardinals history. And I, I say that with respect to to Lou Brock and the great Stan Musial. What Freeze did in October against not just the Texas Rangers in Game Six, but against uh, the Philadelphia Phillies and Milwaukee Brewers, he was he he was the he was the guy. He was him, as they say these days. Um, I think I think David has. Uh, done a lot of thinking over the last, you know, six weeks, you know, since he he won that fan vote, and you know, maybe he's he's looked at his career numbers uh, against those of you know the Cardinal Hall of Famers. We're not talking about the you know Miami Marlins Hall of Fame here, Jeff. You know, the and the and the living Hall of Famers in in the franchises Hall, uh, Ted Simmons and Ozzie Smith and Scott Rowland, Chris Carpenter. Uh, these guys, uh, they, you know. The bar is really high, and, and David Freeze, by no one's objective measure, fits into that category. That said, you know, again, you put up the greatest postseason by a hitter in the history of a franchise that's been around 130 years and the 111 World Series, I think you get a plaque in the Hall of Fame. And, and, and there's a part of me, Jeff, that wishes St. Louis would come to a compromise and, you know, hey, David, you don't, you don't have to make a speech. You don't have to put on the red coat. You don't even have to show up for the – ceremony if you choose not to but let us put a plaque up to to celebrate what you did for this franchise and you know i don't think that's going to happen but but the fact is even if there is no plaque you cannot go through the cardinals hall of fame museum without you know some very clear evidence of david freeze's presence there so i i think it's all you know everyone's going to be happy in the end um there's there's no one to be angry here you know least of all david freeze um i think the one thing that calls into question and I'm curious about your opinion on it, Jeff, is, you know, a fan vote component for any Hall of Fame. You know, there's, you know, out of the gate, you've got a problem there in that it, it brings, you know, popularity into the equation. And should, you know, should a player popular with fans qualify for a, a Hall of Fame? And 
in the Cardinals' case, you now have a situation where the you know the player that the fans elected, so to speak, chose their their favorite has has declined the the uh, the honor. So that, to me, that makes it problematic with any future fan vote uh, St. Louis conducts because you know deep you know, when, b- before I click on my my favorite in in twenty twenty four, do I have to weigh the possibilities of him? You know, choosing not to show up for the induction in August. Uh, so that's the only problematic part of it I find, and it's really nothing against the Cardinals, nothing against David Freeze. It's just, you know, that 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 question of where where popularity falls in the, the Hall of Fame debate. Yeah, that's a you know that's a great point because you know I mean obviously the the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, you know. There's no fan vote. <laughs> yeah, imagine that. Now yeah. you know, and and there's also and and there's also some very questionable you know committee voting that goes on there. We could Absolutely. we could do a whole show on no that. question. Yeah, uh, but yeah, it's 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 a it's a tough call because yeah, I mean you know, uh, you know, Tyler Matzik is never going to have to buy a beer in Atlanta again. Uh, you know, uh, after his uh, his uh, great. Uh, performance for the Braves when they won the World Series and and the National League Championship Series going through the Dodgers. Uh, you know, he had some epic moments, but, you know, he's not going to be a Braves Hall of Famer, right? So. Right, right. How about, how about Francisco Cabrera? You know, the, one, maybe the most famous hit in Braves history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, you know, that's not a Hall of Famer. Um, and, and they're not, you know, Francisco Cabrera is not on the scale of what David Freeze did. But nonetheless, there are there are lots of baseball heroes who aren't Hall of Famers, and that's where I think David Freeze finds himself now. And and you know David Freeze is is going to be a, a St. Louis Cardinals hero uh, as long as he's breathing. And the thing is, after he's no longer breathing, that's that's the great part about baseball immortality. We all know. Um, I I just hope he's I hope he's at peace with the decision, and I hope I, I know Cardinal fans will come around. Whatever any of them that are, are resenting it, you know, just you know, get over yourself and. Uh, um, you're going to find photos of David Freeze uh, near Bush Stadium as long as that stadium's upright. As it should be, for sure. Right, right. <laughs> All right, so uh, as we mentioned uh, in Memphis, uh, uh, you know, the, the John Morant story is a bit a, uh, uh, an interesting one to follow throughout the course of this uh, last several months. He's now had two incidents where he has had um, you know, uh, on video, uh, brandishing a firearm. Uh, he's now been suspended 25 games uh, to start for the for the next season. And, you know, and Frank, this is one of those things that, you know, I always try to caution, you know, because, you know, fans become enamored with these superstars. And just because they are great superstars in the sport, the immediate thing you fall back to is, oh, man, he must be a great guy, right? And I'm not saying John Moran is not a great guy, or anything like that, but I think we put these guys on such a pedestal that's very unrealistic, you know, because everybody's got their warts. Everybody's got their, you know, the the things they they wish they hadn't done, right? So absolutely. So with the John Morant story, uh, you know, this has been a, a very intriguing to me, um, you know, because you know he had a second incident with this. Uh, you know, what's the feeling around Memphis uh, regarding this? Yeah, it's. Um, I think the best thing I can offer you, Jeff, is the perspective from uh, Memphis, uh, the city, and, and uh, it, it's unique in that you know the Grizzlies, the Grizzlies are our only big league operation. There's no major league baseball team, no NFL team here. Um, so the Grizzlies are, in many respects, the national face of this city. The national news that Memphis makes tends to be the Grizzlies, and and then you go a step further in the face 
of that franchise, certainly in the last four years, is, is John Morant. He's a he's a talent and a superstar. Um, that next level beyond anything um, the Grizzlies have had in in 22 years of playing here in Memphis. So for all this to be shaking down um, in very you know ugly fashion, very public and, and nationally, um, you could you could call it an international story. There there are folks in all over the globe who who follow the NBA as we know. Um, it, it's painful, and, and I think um, painful on a level that that uh, fans in Los Angeles or, or Chicago or New York might not quite know. And that you know, you just something bad goes on with the Knicks. You kind of you know, you just shift your attention to the New York Rangers or the you know the Yankees season coming up with the Grizzlies. As the Grizzlies go, so goes Memphis. So it, it's been painful. Um, you know, I, I'm glad you brought up the the human element and, and the discoveries we make with our our favorite uh, athletes and coaches. Um, it, it calls to mind last summer when um, I'll go back to the Cardinals, when it came out that only two members of the Cardinals team chose not to vaccinate themselves against COVID-19 and would not be able to play in Toronto because of it when, they, when the Cardinals traveled to Canada. And it was the two highest paid players on the team, Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado. And I had serious issues, you know, internally. I expressed them somewhat publicly about, um, you know, leadership there, you know, whether, where, wherever you fall on the, the, uh, the debate over the, you know, the, the efficacies of the, the COVID vaccination, as leaders of a, of a ball club, you do what the rest of the team is doing in that case. You, you make sure you're there for the games to be played. And, and Arenado and, and Goldschmidt put, put their own, you know, personal views on medicine ahead of the ball club. So that, that was a case much more mild that did not involve guns. I would never equate the two, but those kinds of cases pop up um, more and more frequently, Jeff, in large part, because we can follow these athletes in ways that, that you and I could not have when we were kids. I mean, think about John Moran's situation where it not for Instagram and social media. Uh, I'm not sure we see him holding the, those, those handguns. Um, and if we do, it's, it's paparazzi and a whole different kind of, uh, dynamic. Um, so, you know, w- with social media being part of, of the way these athletes, coaches, you know, you know, big time sports celebrities, that's what they are. They're celebrities. The way they, they sell themselves, th- there has to be a degree of caution. And um, in John Morant's case, I'm hoping it all, I hope all this turns into something that is uh, a place for growth for the human being. And that's, you know, you asked me about how Memphis is taking it. I think Memphians are more interested in John Morant being healthy and, and living a long, healthy life right now, then, you know, what kind of seeding can the 23, 24 Grizzlies get minus John Morant for 25 games? I think it's more about, you know, can John Morant get his feet, you know, firmly on the ground and, and find some of that David Freeze humility and, and also just, you know, maybe redefine um, who he surrounds himself with and what kind of influences he chooses to, um, to, to, to follow himself. Cause we're all followers, you know, even leaders follow, and John Morant clearly has not been following uh, precisely the the right folks um, in recent years. So, so let, let's hope let's hope for a life adjustment. Yeah, and I think the other thing you see here too is, I mean, he's 23 years old. He's been in the NBA since he's been 19 years old, and you and so and, and, yeah. and, and all this money and wealth and popularity uh, yeah. is upon yeah. you. You know, kids that young are not equipped to handle it. <laughs> Jeff, yeah, I you know. I wouldn't be equipped to handle it. I mean, the, the kind of money these guys are counting, I, I've wondered that. And, and, you know, you and I have been doing this a long time. 
when I read of the contracts and the the extensions and the eight figures, I, you know, I I'm comfortable. I, I'm blessed. I, I you know, dual income family. You know, we're we're fine. Uh, but I, I wonder what I would do with the numbers that some of these people have. And and like you say, I, I know what my instincts would have been when I was 23, and they're very different than what they would be when I was 33, 43, or 53. And so, yeah, that, that's that's part of the that's part of the mix here. Uh, I'm not sure how you. <laughs> there's not going to be any, you know, shoving that toothpaste back in the tube. These young men are going to be wealthy, and they're going to continue to be wealthy. I think the most important thing they can do is just going back to, you know, who you're surrounding yourself with. I would have one person in my entourage, Jeff, who his primary job or her primary job was to tell me when I'm being foolish. <laughs> just, I mean, just just say it. I mean, whether it's it's whether it's small, big, if, if it's a food choice at a restaurant, you know, social media. Um, the, the fourth or fifth car I'm buying, the the house, whatever. Just tell me straight up, and but 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 be honest about it because I and I want to hear that person say when I hear that person say I'm being foolish, I'm going to know it's not any BS that they're not in it for any kind of, you know, benefit to themselves, and I need to rethink the decision. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe that will happen. The the, the foolishness coach. <laughs> yes, yes, uh, you know that that could be a good line of work for somebody too. You know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You know, and I, and I, you know, it might be a new industry. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, You might be right about that. So, you know, and I think too, I like, I had no money at 23. And if, if I went back and recited some of the stupid things I've done, I would be embarrassed at how long the list is. (laughs) Oh yeah. Well, I'm so glad I did not grow up with a phone in my my camera in my pocket, Jeff. I I know you're the same way. Um, (laughs) Yeah. It's a, it's a different landscape, but you know what? That, that also comes with the responsibility. I mean, the old Spider-Man line with great power, with great celebrity, comes responsibility and you just got to know how to manage that. And, and maybe the foolishness coach tells you to put your, your phone away um, for a week or two weeks or, or, or just, you know, just put it in a, in a drawer unless you need to make a phone call. They can, they can be dangerous devices. Um, you know, all that said, it wouldn't be any healthier if John Morant were playing around with firearms and not putting them, you know, on a, on a video platform that millions can see that, that when you're talking about, handguns and, and, you know, back to Memphis and the, the specific city where this is happening, a, a city that also makes national news for violence you know, and poverty, uh, you just, you got to get it right. This isn't something about winning basketball games or, you know, what kind of endorsements you're going to gain or lose. It, it's, it's getting your life right. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that's, that's where John Morant and his, uh, his family and his entourage are right now. I hope. Yeah, I would, I would hope so too, because yeah, I mean, the danger that goes along with, you know, because I mean, a gun on video, you know, I think we've become so, you know, sanitized to this kind of stuff. That is some seriously dangerous stuff. Oh, right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Jeff. I mean, it's, and you're right. The sanitized is the right word. We, we learn every 10 days or so about another mass shooting somewhere, you know, five, six, eight people, 20 people have been injured by gunfire, you know, that, and, and those, those are a small fraction. The incidents where a child finds a handgun that wasn't locked up properly, uh, it, it's heartbreaking. We live in a country where uh, firearms are a national you know, health problem. And, um, you know, this, you, you want to talk about uh, filling a show. I mean, the, 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 the level we can get to with, with, uh, with gun safety and what, uh, what this country could do. Oh my goodness. But it sure trickles down to professional athletes. And, and that's what we see with, um, with Mr. Morant right now. 
Yeah. And you know, and, and you talked about social media. I mean, you know, I have a love hate relationship with it. You know, there's things I like about it. In but for like a, to right. me, like every good thing you see on social media, you see like three pieces of crap. <laughs> yeah. Really. There's no question. I I limit the number of uh, you know you know folks I follow on Twitter because of that reason, uh, Jeff. It's a it's a news feed for me primarily. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I contribute to it because that's sort of the role I need to play as a journalist here in Memphis. I, there are times I wonder about when I, when I hang it up, when, when that day comes, I, I may vanish from that platform because it, it, it can be uh, it can be really ugly fast. Um, um, as you say, though, it, it's a it's a great news feed. I, I learn about trades, uh, signings, injuries. I, I learn about most of them first on Twitter. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's got that it's got that purpose. Yeah, there is some there is some good there. To, uh, just as to, yeah, I think you know how you how you monitor yourself and how you intake things is is probably very important. So uh, important, yeah, in that yeah. in that respect. All right, Frank. Before I let you go, so I have been asking most of my you know baseball friends that that I talk to, uh, you know how how much do you like the rule changes that have gone to effect for this season? I haven't met anybody who's objected. <laughs> You know, I like them, Jeff. I, I'm uh, I have no complaints other than the silly, you know, ghost runner and extra innings that has to go away someday. That mm-hmm. that's not baseball. You know, that's just I, I don't know what that is. I I get to, when I'm watching a game that I have interest in, and it gets to the tenth inning, I, I often just sort of tune out because it seems like you know we're playing slow pitch softball, and you flip a coin, someone's going to win. The the time saving of the clock, the the dead time that's been killed. Is magnificent. You know, there are a lot more games coming in under three hours. Uh, that's healthy. You know, and I say that. Let me let me say that I'm a guy who I'm happy at the ballpark if it goes three and a half, four hours. The ballpark is is my happy place. So I'm not one who complained about the length of time. But I know in general, and particularly with the you know attention span of the modern you know social media scrolling um, sports fan, it's healthy for baseball. You know the. The shift rule, I, I can come and go with. Uh, I, I, the, the old school me, uh, the, the, the kid who grew up watching the likes of George Brett and Rod Carew and then Wade Boggs and Tony Gwynn, uh, kind of scoffs at the idea that you can't adjust as a hitter to, to hitting into a hole that's created by a, a shifting infield. But what I've seen and, and the, the, you know, the, the boost it's given offense and, and scoring and, and small ball scoring, you know, as opposed to just, the, the three true outcomes, it's healthy. So, so yeah, I guess I'm, I'm for the most part, if I was giving the rules, um, the rules renaissance here, a, a overall grade, it'd, it'd probably be a B plus. It's not a minus. Yeah. You know, and I, the, yeah, I always look back at this too. If, if we weren't timing the games and they were three fifteen, the way the game's being pre- played now presently, I don't think people mind the length of the game so much as the fact that there were just so much dead time. Yeah, I, I, that's a good point, Jeff. And and yeah, I think we um, you, you, it's hard to measure what we've subtracted because it was so boring. <laughs> if that makes sense, you're right though. Yeah, just the conversations aren't going as long. A pitcher's not deliberating as long with you know the the, the signal from the catcher. You're right. Um, it's it's just um, the absence is healthy. It it, uh, it just it feels better. Yeah, and you know, and and, and I I, I kind of scoff a little bit at the people that, that you know, complain about the the rules changes. I was like, you know, the players let this happen. <laughs> yeah, you know, right. and, and probably the umpires to some degree as well, with just the the, the lack of the pace of play. 
and right. and just all the you know the tinkering with the gloves and this that and right. the other. I mean, the players kind of made this happen. So any yeah. player that complains about it to me, I kind of say, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, no question. You know, I, I spent um, a good portion of my life uh, boasting to people that you know preferred the uh, you know football or basketball, hockey, soccer, name your sport that my sport, baseball, is the one you have that doesn't have a clock. And, and that's no longer the truth. You know, we know there's a, a, a visible clock in stadiums, but it's it's different than a than a time expiration clock. I've learned that. You know, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a constraint on dead time. And I I'm I'm growing comfortable with it, and I'm I'm glad it's there. As you say, there's just a there's a new flow to to viewing a baseball game that that, that feels right, feels better. Yeah, it feels more like the game I grew up watching. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. You and I, yeah, as kids, uh, I I watched Skip Carey broadcast Atlanta Brave games in in barely two hours. You know, and Rick Camp was pitching against uh, you know pick your Houston Astro pitcher at the time. Uh, yeah, th- those were good days. <laughs> yeah, no, no question about that. All right, Frank. As always, uh, I I love to give you the opportunity to make uh, uh, shameless plugs for your endeavors. So the floor is yours. Sure. Yeah, you can find my my journalism as usual at, uh, at memphismagazine.com. Uh, my sports writing is at memphisflyer.com. Um, I'm, I'm still a, 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 a starving author trying to sell my novel, Trey's Company. You can find that on Amazon. It's a, a summer story. It's a, a coming of age story um, about a 13 year old boy uh, spending a summer away from home. And uh, if you like The Sandlot or uh, Stand by Me, it's it's right up your alley. So I'd, I'd love to sell some books. Trey's Company. Uh, Best way to get it is just hop on Amazon, where you where all your books reside these days. Sounds good. Frank, as always, man, thanks for being on the show. Appreciate the time. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having me. All right, now let's close things out with a TV theme. This is my boss, Jonathan Hart, a self-made millionaire. He's quite a guy. This is Mrs. H. She's gorgeous. She's one lady who knows how to take care of herself. By the way, my name is Max. I take care of both of them, which ain't easy. Because when they met, it was murder. Theme from heart to heart, and my wife has been watching this on streaming, so I have been uh, watching along as I come to bed and uh, reliving some of this as well. It was a mystery TV series that uh, ran on ABC from August 1979 until May of 1984. They did also have uh, eight TV movies from 1993 to 1996, and of course, this show. Stars Robert Wagner as the self-made millionaire Jonathan Hartz. 
and his wife, the beautiful Stephanie Powers, as Jennifer Hartz. Stephanie Powers would probably be in my top five when you talk about all-time beautiful women. Anyway, they, you know, they lead a glamorous jet set lifestyle, but for some reason, they find themselves always embroiled in crimes around them <laughs> and, and end up working as unpaid detectives, if you will. And the uh, series is created by novelist and TV writer Sidney Sheldon. Heart to Heart, our TV theme for this week. And with that, we are done here.